Welcome to The Art of Sway. This is a podcast that brings you inside the world of marketing through the lens of influence. I'm your host, Danielle Wiley. Each week, through candid conversations with industry insiders, we will uncover how influencer marketing is making an impact across all consumer buying habits and is changing the way we talk to each other. Let's dive in. David Abrams founded Cheap Ass Gamer in 2003, a website focused on providing its users with the latest information on video game sales and deals. Through affiliate marketing on social media platforms and the CAG website, CAG annually refers millions of dollars to retailer partners such as Amazon and Best Buy. David is also a podcast host and producer, having created over 740 episodes of his award-winning CAGCast podcast since 2005. As one of the early YouTubers, David is credited with having the first popular unboxing video on YouTube and was featured in an exhibit in the Museum of the Moving Image in New York City. David lives in Long Island, New York with his wife and son, where he enjoys table tennis, bedroom DJing, and playing the occasional video game. I have known David Abrams since nursery school. We grew up on the same street and have lots of just fun and wacky Long Island memories together. The crazy thing, he probably wouldn't describe himself in this way, but David has been a gaming influencer since the mid-2000s. It was really fun. It's just always fun catching up with him, but I had never heard his full journey, and it's kind of a fascinating one, so I hope you all enjoy this. Well, hi. Hi. This is fun because I usually start this by asking about your journey, and I feel like I know the first half of your journey because I live two doors down. <laughs> Was that a journey, really? <laughs> <laughs> Was it? I feel like it's been a long journey to where we are now from this. Yeah, growing sure. up on Long Island is an interesting. I'm back somehow. You're back. You're back. So my experience of your journey, I mean, we all got our first computers in elementary, you probably—I think I got mine for my bat mitzvah. You had one before I did. Yes, my dad was very a very early adopter of technology. So as soon as something came out that could be purchased by a regular person and you know it was semi-affordable, he would in thoroughly investigate it, find out what the best one was. He's had a subscription to Consumer Reports for like 30 years or something like that. So yeah, as soon as like the first yeah. IBM, we, we, he didn't want to pay for the real IBM PCs because those were too expensive. But as soon as those clones came out that were coming out of Asia and they were more, they were more affordable, he got those. My first computer was a K-Pro. K-Pro? Yeah, which we got from my other neighbor, from Steve Schwartz, sold it okay. to my parents. I'm remembering it as K-A-Y. Pro for sure from Asia. Right. It was large. Sounds budget. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember you coming over because I was like, I don't know what to do with this giant thing right. that's sitting. Right, right. I'm sort of remembering and now. Then, yes, yes. Yes. And then you brought, we've talked about this. You brought me the floppy disk with Executive Suite on it, which was the best game. I love that game. Right. That's right. I've lived that game. You had to get, you had to like start from the mailroom and make your way yes. up to CEO, um, was the whole point of the yep. game and it was all commands. Yeah, I mean, it was just, this is when computer games were green and black. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you always knew so much more about computers. And I remember you like being on, I guess they were, they didn't call them message boards, like bulletin boards. BBSs, yes. 
BBS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was an only child, so and both my parents worked, so I would come home from school and I would go to the computer. I would sit there and, you know, back then, there you sort of had to make your own entertainment. Of course, there were some games that you could buy uh, at the store, but there weren't that many. Like now, there's thousands to choose from. Um, and certainly, you know, my parents weren't buying me games. You could discover the, the early version of the internet, which was, you know having a modem and dialing phone numbers into computers that people had in their homes, basically, that were running, you know, message boards out of their house. And I got like into that culture, culture in quotes, <laughs> uh, because the culture really was, you know, it was like, it was like an internet that people didn't know existed, really. Like only like the biggest nerds knew about it because or it was the neighbors of the biggest nerds. <laughs> <laughs> or the neighbors, people who would tell them about, oh my God, because like, you could you would find out like there was knowledge there to be learned. There were there were illegal games that were copied and that you could download for those whose parents weren't going to be buying them those games anyway. There was like the early version of pornography, which was <laughs> printed out symbols. Do you remember that? No. Like, people would print out. People would print out. You remember those dot matrix printers that everybody yeah, had yeah, that yeah, were yeah. so noisy. And they would just print, they would, people would design nude pictures out of ASCII symbols, oh you know, God. just out of letters and numbers and symbols. So it would make an actual, I was picturing like a little eggplant, but they would make an actual like. That would span picture. across several pages of your printer. Because remember back in those days, the pages were all connected and yeah, you'd have yeah, to yeah. separate them. So you would print out like a centerfold or something. It would be like five pages. It was ridiculous. It was just like <laughs> zeros and exclamation points put together. And if you if you cover your eye and you put it far enough away, maybe it looks like something. I mean, if you're 12, it's probably all. It was very exciting. More exciting take, than anything else happening. And it would take, for, of course, everything took forever to happen, like to download anything or to connect or anything anything just took took forever and then one day i remember i got like i was getting addicted to the it was some, a service called CompuServe, and they had online games that you would they were actually like the earliest version of multiplayer games and i remember and they would charge you you had a certain number of the free minutes but if you go over the free minutes you get a bill and i remember one day my dad comes home from work and i hear him downstairs you know open the door and he starts going through the mail and I knew there was a bill from CompuServe there, and I knew I was in big trouble. And I just, I just hear, David, like from downstairs, and I was, and that was the end of CompuServe. It was like a two hundred dollar bill in, in like nineteen eighty six or something. It's, it wasn't good. <laughs> it's wild how long that was going on for. I was just reminiscing with my husband that one of my first jobs was at the Food Network and we didn't have internet. And I brought right. in a phone cord and I plugged my computer into the phone jack at work. And I would spend all day on AOL chatting with his friend Blake, yep. who was the only one I knew who was on AOL. And <laughs> I got in trouble at work. Right, sure, bill. sure. And this was 1996. Like right. it took a long time for that to kick in and like now the they know exactly you what you're yeah. looking at like what part of your screen you're looking at and and yeah <laughs> you don't get away with anything no not at all but all that early stuff got me into gaming obviously because i had access to games that you know i didn't have to buy i could get like they were called back then they were called cracked versions like they were like these these pirate groups and they would they would basically remove the copy protection from the games and then like you an can, unlocked phone kind of like an unlocked phone so if you're downloading them and of course it was so slow because it was over your phone connection and what would it never it would take hours and hours like a whole yeah. day to download something and of course like 
it was just a phone call. So phone calls get disconnected all the time. Someone, maybe your mom picks up the phone while you're doing it and she doesn't know. And that's it. You could have been doing it for, for 14 hours. You had five minutes left and it's done. You're, you're, it's over. You have to start over. So I got into all those types of games, of course. And as games got more advanced, I, you know, my dad would pick up the new consoles too, even. So he certainly, while he wasn't very interested in playing the games himself, he definitely, you know, he didn't, it was fine. Like he was, he was bringing these systems into the house. He would buy me games and, you know, I guess he knew I was, I was a latchkey kid. So he was, they were trying to keep me entertained. I mean, he must've always, I mean, I know your dad and he's a smart guy. Like he must've also sensed this was, I don't know if he knew this was the wave of the future, but that something was changing with communication. Like, or do you think he purely saw it as this is entertainment for this kid who's really bored and I feel bad that he's bored. It's, it's probably a little of that. It's, I think he was generally, he's generally interested in the technology and still is, um, but not to the point where he needs to be involved with it personally. It's more like, oh, I, I brought it into the house. I see like someone's getting use out of it. And to your point, yeah, maybe this is something that could mean something in the future, <clears throat> but also it's going to keep him busy while I'm listening to opera. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, you know, you know, he wants to do his own thing after coming home, and he wasn't playing the games with me. I tried to get him to play, but yeah, but uh, so that basically got me addicted to video games, and even through college, like video games were very popular in college, and we we played a lot then. And what did you? I don't even know if I know what you majored in. History, American history. Okay, um, I went to University of Rochester. I didn't think it really mattered what I majored in. I just, I knew that like I would get a lot of writing, writing work done doing like a history major. And I, I like writing and I liked history. So I did that. You're the second history major in this season so far that I've interviewed. I interviewed <laughs> okay. the owner of Zingerman's Deli and Zingerman's Community of Businesses, which is a okay. big business here. And he majored in Russian history. I mean, be learning how to write well, or at least the yeah. basics of it is important for probably most jobs so it seems like it seems yeah. like a good path so i mean i've always been interested in video games since you know like the first arcade games and when i you know, got out of college and you know like you were saying internet we get your first job and the internet was sort of starting to appear i started you know wasting time at work like most people and one of the things that i was wasting time on were these bargain sites uh which were basically just every day they would just list like anything that was a ridiculous deal anywhere so there's a fax machine at Home Depot and you can get it for $5 after you mail in the rebate. Or there's a blender at Bed Bath & Beyond and it's, it's, it's free after the rebate or something. And I, was, I got really into looking at that because once in a while they would have a video game deal that popped up and it was something just as ridiculous like that. It was like a game for $5 or something. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know that they had these types of clearance deals. And then I thought after, you know, the site was called Ben's Bargains, by the way. I'm not even sure if it's still there. I was like, I wish there was just a site like this for video games because the video game deals only come up like once a day, maybe once every two days. And there's probably more deals. So I started looking, I started just looking to see if there were deals. And sure enough, you know, I would go to ebgames.com, which is, which is now gone. And I would just sort the prices by lowest price and say like, oh yeah, there are deals. And then I thought like it would be great if there was a site just just for video game deals. And I just basically Googled my way to like making a website. 
So I didn't have any, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. Like anything today, you can YouTube or Google your way through it, really with no, just basic knowledge, basic technical knowledge. And so that's that's what I did. I, I got like a movable type, which is a blog software, which yeah. was very cheap. And I got some free forum software. And I basically just, you know, the front page was was the movable type blog. And then the community was this forum. They really didn't connect much. But that was it. And then, like I said, I would just scroll through the retailers find yeah. just, and find out what what was a deal and what wasn't and just share them. And you were doing this while at your day job. I was doing this while at my day job. Correct. Um, no, no judgment. I once wrote an entire business plan while at my day job. I mean, look, I didn't have any complaints about about my work, my work. I mean, most of the work was was done after I got home from the day job. So, because you couldn't, yeah. you know, obviously people walking by your desk, it's not, it's not a great work environment. And also like I'm working for somebody else and getting paid. Um, so I would come home from that job and I would really spend like all afternoon and sometimes stuff would break and I would be up at like three in the morning, try Googling how to fix, you know, things that I don't know anything about and then go to work the next day. Um, and then, you know, if something big comes up, certainly I would be posting it at work, but it was, it would be like. Today, running a social media account while at your job, like while at a completely separate job, which is like pretty doable because you're just yeah. doing things in short bursts. And I was just basically posting, hey, this game is $10 off at, at Amazon and here's a link. It wasn't, I didn't have to write a whole thesis about the game. Were you putting in affiliate? Because I did affiliate links back in the like early, early yes. 2000s and it was a pain in the ass, but you could do it. Right. So I, you know, I learned from Ben's bargains about the whole uh, about affiliate marketing and how he was making money. And for people who don't know, affiliate marketing is basically a retail. I'm almost every retailer has a program where they'll provide, uh, I guess, influencers now or websites with links that when people click and buy something, they will pay you a commission. And it seemed great. It seemed because I actually I was so into video games that I thought about opening up an online store like just like a, a video game store, straight up selling games. And I did the research and I looked at what the margins were and it was, they were so bad because, you know, video games are really designed to get a, a customer into a big box retailer and then buy something else. Okay, you're gonna spend $60 on this game, which the retailer is maybe making $10 on, if that, not, they're not probably, um, but maybe you'll buy a refrigerator or something else. So I looked at that and I was like, this is, this is not probably a good business to get into. And then I was like, well, but I could make, eight and a half percent just by somebody clicking on a link and buying the game and i don't have to i don't have to buy i don't have to store any games or ship any games or or take risk or pay <laughs> rent or do any of this stuff i'm like let me let me try this i mean webs you know it's cheap to to lease a server um so i, I basically put that all together you know i remember go i remember i was living in on on you know, in Manhattan in my walk-up apartment. And I remember coming to my mailbox downstairs one day and there was a check from EB Games in there for $6,000. Oh and this was like 2003 or 2004. And I wasn't making that much at my regular job. I was, you know, and I was like, I stared at the check because I just like couldn't believe it. And it was relatively easy money. Like I was putting in the time certainly, but it's not like I was you know, shingling a roof or yeah. anything like that. It was like, it was just finding video game deals and posting them and keeping a community happy, which was uh, probably the most challenging part. How did you let people know about this? Cause this is like pre, I mean, there was- So that was tricky. Was it, there wasn't Twitter. Right. There were blogs. That, I mean, I'm trying to think how I- Oh, okay, there was nothing really. 
So it was commenting and there like were other message boards being part of the community. Yes. So there's a, there was a huge message board. It's still there called game facts, F A Q S. And it was purchased by a big company like long ago, but back in the day, it was an independently owned site and it was very bare bones, like every site. And you could talk about any game you want. Like every game had its own message board. So what I did, I had already like a fairly active account there. So what I did is like in my signature, I would post, Hey, check out the hottest video game deals at cheap ass gamer which is the name of the company that I, <laughs> the name that I came up with. And sure, because, you know, I thought it would stand out. If someone sees ass, they're like, whoa, ass, what's, what's that about? Yeah, must be good. <laughs> must be good. Um, and sure enough, like, it actually worked. Like, I wasn't obnoxious about it. I wasn't just spamming, because they'll ban you. They, no one's going to put up with that. Um, I was yeah. just, I didn't even really even post about the site. I would post about other things, but I would have the stuff in the signature. And eventually... Some people would come over and they told other people. And yeah, I never did like advertising, like conventional advertising. It's, I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have any money to do that. I was just, this was the way to do it. I got lucky in that it was the sort of the dawn of the internet. And there just weren't that many destinations that were great, you know? And so people checked it out and it was useful. Like every gamer needed to buy games. It was just, if you're a gamer, you're not getting the games for free. You have to buy them. There's no going to the BBSs anymore and downloading the cracked versions. I mean, some, okay, that's not 100% true, but for the most part, people are not doing that. It's a lot more complicated. Um, so this was something that any gamer could ad identify with, like needing to acquire games in a cheap manner because games are expensive. So yeah, I, I did that and I, I found success like really quickly, which was surprising. And I was working at this regular job. I was working for a nonprofit. Actually, it was my father's not my, the the nonprofit that my father worked for for a long time. He was retired already by the time I got there. Soon after that, my wife, who's who's Japanese, she got a job offer to w work in Tokyo, and they would, you know, it's a nice deal where they help you find an apartment. They don't pay your rent or anything because she's Japanese, but they make things a lot easier for you. It's a great it's a great opportunity to quit for me to quit my real job, work on Cheap Ass Gamer full-time because I could do it from anywhere and also Japan is like the home of video games so it seemed like it seemed like a good a good fit for me and it was it was really it was really good and the time difference was interesting because I could sort of some things were advantageous like it's, it's very annoying to work in Japan and have to deal with the east coast because people are you're going to bed and people are waking up and you can miss people very for like yeah. days if you don't if you miss one connection you know the time difference works against you for, for for posting video game deals specifically it was great because most of the retailers update their catalogs in the middle of the night in terms of the price changes it's like 3 a.m or something like that for me that was now the afternoon and i could i could look at that stuff yeah. and get the stuff out in a timely manner and be on top of everything. And everyone's waking up to the deal. And everyone's, yes, and it was perfect. It was really great. And even on things like on Black Friday, where there's so many deals and it was it was just so helpful. And back then when the, the commission rates were so high because Amazon was basically, Amazon was just trying to like swallow everything, right? So they were paying these ridiculously high commission rates which yeah. was also also forcing other companies to try to pr probably to lift theirs more than they wanted to because otherwise they wouldn't be competitive. Everybody was buying everything from Amazon anyway. Yeah. So it was it was a real success for me in that I was making so much money from these affiliate these affiliate earnings because the commissions were unsustainably high. It was 
they, were, they couldn't have been making that much money on the games that they were selling after paying the commissions and all their other expenses. They were losing money. And I know they were because Amazon would tell me. Well, when you get commission, I know from how affiliate works, like if someone clicks the link from you for the game, but then they also buy a refrigerator, like you're getting that commission. Yes. It's just where they enter yes. from. It's not specific to the product that yes. you're posting. Correct. Correct. So a store like Amazon, which sells everything, and and also sometimes these links, like it's not just what they buy right after they click through. They there's cookies, and they can last for for days or weeks, depending on. Back then, it was very generous. Now it's less so. Not, um, but it's okay. I, I had a good run. Yeah. So it was great, and so the the Japan thing really worked out. And then it because like YouTube was coming on right around then, I could post these videos from Japan that people thought were like. You know, they were they were exotic, like they were literally exotic because everybody didn't have a camera phone, a video recorder in their pocket back then. I did because I lived in Japan and I had a they were more advanced in the phones and you could buy handheld cameras on the cheap that were really great. And I started making YouTube content and the YouTube content really helped a lot because they had, we had all these gaming blogs out there that were posting. They were this was before influencers. So they were it was the age of bloggers. And there were all these gaming blogs that popped up that were challenging the, the established gaming media and they needed content because they were just, that was their thing, right? Blogs, they just post all day. It was just whatever, <laughs> just put it up there. And here was a guy in Japan who was making videos about, you know, gaming in Japan, stuff that they couldn't get access to. And I would just put it up on my YouTube channel and they would cover it. They would just take my video and embed it in a post. It was great for the bloggers because it was an easy post for them. It was just, they would write two sentences and embed a YouTube video. And it was great for me because at the end of every video, I would plug Cheap Ass Gamer. I would have words come up, check it out. It was the best free advertising. So I would just go buy consoles that would come out, special edition consoles that wouldn't, anything that wouldn't come out in America that I thought a blogger would be interested in that would link to, I would just make a video of it. Because it was, it was the cheapest advertising. Spend $300 on a console and get 300,000 views on YouTube because all these sites just posted about it. And spend five minutes making a video. Like it was. Yeah. And then you were making ad revenue from YouTube and prom or it was just for the promoting of. It was before. It was before any of, before you could monetize YouTube. Okay. I don't know how I feel about that because. On one hand, like if I could have monetized those videos, I would be a YouTuber now, probably. Yeah, you'd be like Mr. Beast. I, but I, but you know, it would. It, it's weird because I, while I was living there, and the videos would would get posted, you know, they would get like a couple hundred thousand views. Um, and this was back in the day when that was like a lot. I would have people come up to me in Japan and recognize me from the YouTube, like like Americans yeah. who would come visit Japan. And they would run into me in the subway or something, and they'd be like, I see your videos on YouTube. And I was like, this is very weird. And I remember one time I was walking my son home from school, and he had to go to the bathroom really badly. Like, he was, we were, like, hauling butt home. And we got stopped by some guy who saw my some McDonald's video I made or something like that. And he's, he's just, like, talking talking. I'm like, my kid's got to go to the bathroom. I'm sorry, we got to go, we got to go. And, and we, like, it was a whole emergency, but... It worked out okay. But it got me thinking, like, sure, it's nice to be recognized. And, and certainly, like, once or once a month or something like that is not going to, you know, affect anybody's life too negatively. But what if, like, this happens every time you go out? Like, I'm sure Mr. Beast can't go anywhere. Yeah, we were at a Michigan football game, and there was, 
I don't know who it was. It was a gaming, there was a gaming YouTuber in our section. My son Max was next. He was like, oh my God, mom, that's like, he's like a right. big YouTuber. And all these people were taking yeah. photos. I mean, he was just there watching a football game. And I'm sure he loved that like the first five times that that happened. But now when he's just trying to watch the game or something and just relax, it's, it's probably not that great. I'm sure he, he would like to have his, his at least have the option of having some privacy. I don't know how I feel about missing out on, on that YouTube, because I'm sure I would have went for it if I thought, you know, I was young then, and I probably would have went for it. But now I'm sort of glad that that didn't happen. I like to just walk around, and even now, like, all a lot, yeah. of, a lot of bald white guys look the same. I get people <laughs> coming up to me now. Just last week, some young African-American guy, very hip-looking guy, is like, I'm sorry, sir, I don't mean to to bother you but you look very familiar to me do i know you know have i seen you somewhere and it's like so awkward right like well i you know i do have some youtube videos with you know eight hundred thousand views with me opening up a playstation yes, but like you're not let me list all like, the way well unless you're a big video game nerd you probably don't know who i am it's, that's what i say now and, yeah. I, and then i say a line about all bald white guys looking the same <laughs> which is fair <laughs> It's, it's true. I Because I'll be at a restaurant and I'll see a bald white guy. And I'm like, yeah, this guy does look, kind of look like yeah, me. I, I'm married to a bald white guy. You guys look very different, but. Right, he does. That's yeah. true. The YouTube stuff, like it was, it was, it was cool, and I, it was, it was very fun, and it was great promotion for Cheap Ass Gamer. But I wasn't making any money. It was pre-influencer. I wasn't making any money on it uh, directly, but it was turning me into sort of like an early inf gaming influencer yeah. because you had, you know, you did have, you know, ga gaming is a huge business and g these big games cost as much as a big movie to put out. And the marketing budgets on these games are just like movies. They're, they're like 50% of, of what it costs to make the game. So these days, a big part of, of the marketing budget is going into gaming influencers, which as, as your son <laughs> pointed out is our, streamers they're twitch streamers basically for the most part um but back you know before twitch it was basically people like me who were making like memes on twitter like gaming memes uh they were making videos that would get picked up places i remember there's a big there's a big gaming expo every year called e3 i've gone every year except when there's a pandemic because they didn't have it um and i remember you know they'll the, you have to have appointments for everything and i remember when in the we were seeing this game bioshock which was a huge game for the first time and they they're calling people into the room they're calling they they're just and not everybody's gonna get in it's clear not everybody's gonna get in and they call cheap ass gamer and people start laughing right because they don't they don't really know what's happening they just like someone they say they announced cheap ass gamer they were announcing they, people start laughing because it's, it's funny they were announcing that we were getting into this meeting to see this ga hot game that everybody that not everybody was going to get into. So I remember feeling really good because they were laughing at us. And then they realized that we were getting in and that they maybe were not getting in. Uh, I felt really good about that. Um, but that was like the early, the early gaming influencers were really just bloggers, people writing, and basically people like me who were making early YouTube videos. I, it was hard back then to like not develop a little ego right? Because people are inviting you to things. And, and certainly, like, I was very low, low, low. But I remember, like, every, there's always something that'll put it in, in perspective. And I remember going to E3 one year, and this was the year, they're always trying to figure out what to do with the show, right? Is it supposed to be if everybody comes or just like the, you know, is it how exclusive do we want to make it? And one year, they decided to make it really exclusive, where you couldn't even you couldn't even apply to come. It was like, don't call us, we'll call you. Oh, wow. And they just They'll let you know if you're invited, basically. 
And somehow I got invited and they had it in like in Santa Monica. It was really nice. And I remember going to electronic arts event and I got there and I checked in and they were so nice to me. They were like, they like, it was so nice. And I was like so happy because it was like, it was such a nice hotel. It was so, it's such a nice setup. And they're like, okay, we're just waiting for, for somebody else who's going to be in your group. And then we're going to start the, you know, the, the experience of showing you all these new games that are coming out. And I was so excited. And then the guy who was in my, there was one other guy in my group and he showed up. I noticed right away that they were like fawning all over the guy. The guy was from USA Today. And as soon as he showed up, I got the, the, the stiff arm. Like I could, I was the guy like trying to like peek my head over everyone's shoulders as they were showing the game because they just completely forgot about me. And it put everything in, into perspective. I was like, I'm just some guy running some crappy website. Here's a guy from USA Today. And I get it. I wasn't even mad because I realized, like, yeah, of course. Like, why? I'm nothing. I think it's hard. I pro it's probably hard for to have that attitude if you are in, like, the influencer world today because they're just on another level where the influencer, some influencers now are more important than USA Today. Oh, yeah. And that just was not, that was... Like, I couldn't even be offended by it when it was happening to me because, yeah, of course, like USA Today. Like, um, but now, now it's a whole different world. Now. And do you think, like, so is your audience now, is it an older audience? Are there younger? I mean, I know my son has gone to you for gaming advice, but that's just because he has an in. But, sure. like, is it, like, do younger people know about you? Or is yes. the gaming influence and recommendation world more is it kind of siloed by generation i think so i you know we start i started this podcast when i when right before i moved to japan so i know that a lot of my listeners are old like me because they've i get messages from people who like hey i started listening to you in you know in junior high and i have kids now or like something like horrible like that <laughs> something really depressing yeah. um <laughs> so i know i'm i'm almost positive that we have no like young listeners coming into the podcast it's i mean i i see the numbers the numbers aren't going up on the podcast but in terms of you know cheap ass gamer we do a lot on twitter because we find that's you know that's a great deal delivery platform you know all you need is a link a picture and a couple lines of text and that's it and it's yeah. you know it's timely and people get notified so it's great for that. And so I'm sure we're picking up, we've, we have a younger audience there, but I know that Twitter is not even really like the thing that the kids are using these days. Um, well, and is you it- You would know better than me. Yeah, yeah. No, they're not. I, well, my kids stalk me and comment on my tweets like, that was, that was stupid. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> like they literally get notifications when I tweet, which is, and then tell me I'm a stalker when I'm like trying to find stuff out about whoever they're dating or- About them. Sure, sure. Yeah. That's your job, yeah. though. You're supposed but, to do um, that. So what do you think? Do you think Twitter's going to go away? Do you? Oh, the whole Twitter thing is really, bo is really bothersome yeah. on so many levels. I mean, I, I rely upon it a lot. Yeah, that's what I was income. talking to someone last just... week about the fact that, you know, I'm seeing a lot of posts like, I got rid of it. It was about time. Like, he's an awful human. I'm not supporting this anymore. And like, I get it. But that also comes from a, that really comes from a place of privilege to be able to say, I'm just going to get rid of this yes. platform because it's, it's a source of networking and income and it's vital. To, I mean, yes. it's been around for a long time. Yes. I, I certainly, we're going to keep rocking on at video game deals as, as long as we can, because 
it's working out great. I mean, people, I know that it's useful for people. Like, I know it's a good deal delivery system. I, we get, you know, we have sponsors who sponsor our, our posts. And so I know it's working for them. So yeah, I'm, I, but I am worried about the same things that everybody else are worried about, but there's not much I can do about that. I certainly, and on my personal account, I've found myself posting a lot less because I do feel bad about supplying content. Not that my content is so great, but I do feel bad about giving that guy uh, content. Did I ever tell you I was, I, was, I was Elon's brother's real estate broker? You, what? His I didn't even know you were a real estate broker. I was a real estate broker, for a uh, commercial real estate broker for a year and a half. Um, after <laughs> I, was, I was in the video conferencing business for a while, and the yeah. company had to had decided to shut down their office when they got sued because there was another company that had this, their same name. So this is like in the 90s? This is in like 2000. Like ni- yeah, late 90s, okay. 2000. It was, that's a bad job. That's a really bad job unless your dad owns office buildings. Then it's a great job. So Elon Musk's brother Kimball came, and he's actually very nice. And for a guy who was wor- like a 20-year-old who was worth like $50 million already because he sold, he had just sold of a company with, with Elon um, and he was looking for office space to start. He was ahead of his time. He was starting basically re- a reality television show on the internet in 2000. And let's see when that was exactly. It was probably like 2000 or 1999 or something like that. Wow. And he, when video on the internet was like the size of a post- postage stamp because there was no compression, like that yeah. was how compression worked. Um, so he started this thing called Funky Talk and it just died instantly because... It was way, it was way ahead of its time. Is it, I'm trying to remember what it was. There's a there's a company I listened to a How I Built This like a couple of years ago, and there's a very successful company that started as an internet reality. Was it Twitch? Uh, t- well, Twitch. Yes, Isn't yes, that? it was Twitch. Justin, it was ju- yes. Twitch was Justin okay. TV, which was a little yes, different yes, yes, because yes. I think this funky this thing was called Funky Talk, and I think it was just like basically cameras in an office, and they were I don't even know what they were doing, but Justin TV was basically just you take a, you know video cameras and in a backpack because you needed like live streaming technology and we're just walking down the street and let's just yeah. show everybody you uh, know what we're looking at. That's still at. interesting. I remember you showing. Um, we so, hired you to teach us all about Twitch a couple of years ago at Sway Group, and you everyone's favorite was the bike yes. messenger in New York who was just live streaming. Is somehow it is kind of interesting right. to watch someone live Mikey. there. Life. Yes, it didn't look like that back in the Justin TV days because the technology wasn't that no. good. But now it's crazy. You can live stream 1080p like in almost any country. Yeah, in just a small Amazing. little back with a small little backpack. Okay, so we ask everyone at the end of their episode to tell us what TV commercial from your childhood has stuck with you to this day. So I listened to the episode, you had a gentleman on who worked for a candy company. Yes. And he brought up, he brought up Nobody Beats the Wiz, which is great. Nobody Beats the Wiz, right? Everybody loves Nobody Beats the Wiz. But I feel like Nobody Beats the Wiz was really an answer to Crazy Eddie, right? Was, wasn't Crazy Eddie first? I think so. And it's funny. I had sent that, I sent that episode to someone, one of the topics we talked about, I thought would be of interest to him. He was like, oh my God, I didn't know you were from Long Island and I love Hess Trucks too. And yeah, appreciate nobody beats the whiz, but crazy Eddie all day long. Crazy. I mean, he, he was just like a guy yelling at a camera for 30 seconds with like him in the frame, basically just him in the frame, like 
with his hands moving a lot, saying that the prices are insane. And that, I mean, that whole, not only was the commercial crazy, but that whole store was a trip. Do you remember that store? Yeah. I, I put it in the same like category as PC Richards. Yes. Like just like, just chaotic crap everywhere. You like just a mess. Well, they encouraged you at, at Crazy Eddie to haggle with the salespeople where you could say, no, I don't want to pay $400 for the camera. I'll give you 380. They, and I know that our, our friend's father figured out the code to figure out what the lowest price was that they would accept on the, on the sale, on the price ticket. One of our name, like, a, yeah, uh, Alan marriage. Bender figured it out okay. or he <laughs> had the hookup. Someone told him, but there was like a code on each price tag. And if uh -huh. you, if you took the number between the two nines and divided it in half, that was the lowest price that they would accept on that. So if you knew that going in, you could get that price every time. This is I like my nightmare. Having they, a haggle is my nightmare. I think they went out of business really soon after th that came out. After Alan Bender took <laughs> them down. It was Alan. <laughs> I think Alan brought him down, not the tax fraud. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Too funny. Yes, Crazy well, Eddie was, is the best. Yeah. He, we had to bring him back. <laughs> I don't think he's around. Um, but this was awesome. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you. You can find David on social media on Twitter at Cheapy D, C H E A P Y D, and Video Game Deals. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Please check back next Monday for a new episode featuring marketing conversations through the lens of influence. I am your host, Danielle Wiley, and this is The Art of Sway.